The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Back to the House, the Senate passing President Biden's $1.9 trillion spending bill. They're in the way for a House vote this week. Some Democrats say it is not enough. One year later, we talk the pandemic, the recovery, and a key vaccination milestone that could mark a big turning point in the fight against COVID-19. On edge, investors grapple with surging bond yields as growth stocks struggle to make up for what has been a lost year to date. Oil in crisis, yet another rocket attack in the Middle East, this time targeting Saudi Aramco's oldest, biggest refinery in the region. Oil prices are higher again. Halima Croft is here to break it down. And you can't hold it. You can't touch it. You probably can't even display it in your office. But someone is preparing to pay more than $2 million for Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Get to know the NFT, non-fungible token revolution. It is Monday, March 8th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Happy to be back with you right here, bright and early in the morning. And by the way, the RBI is back as well. Thanks for joining us on a Monday morning. And here's how your Monday money looks after a volatile and often topsy-turvy week last week. And we are lower right now as tensions heat up in the Middle East. Dow futures off 78, but look at the NASDAQ futures. They're down more than 232 points right now and implied open down 234. If that opens that way, and there's still time to turn, by the way, it would continue a lot of selling in big tech recently. Even with a late-day rally on Friday, the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 both dropping nearly 5% last week. 11 NASDAQ 100 stocks fell more than 10% in just five days. It was led by Zoom's 18% haircut. All this comes as oil moves higher again. Drone and missile strikes hitting Saudi Arabia's biggest port and near one of its biggest refineries yesterday. Yemeni rebels taking responsibility. It all adds to Middle East tensions and tighter supplies. RBC's Halima Croft will be here in a minute to weigh in on this developing story. And in bonds, 10-year yields lately, the thing to watch in the markets. Yields making a sudden move higher last week. Stocks went down with it. So watch bonds. We've got a whole 11 days before the Fed chair speaks again. That is basically an eternity in these types of markets. All right, around the world very quickly, mostly red arrows in Asia overnight. The Shanghai Composite down more than 2%. Europe just getting their trading day started right now. They are flat to mostly down as well. To Washington now and the latest on the American Rescue Act. The Senate approving the nearly $2 trillion spending bill this weekend straight along party lines. The modified package features an extension for $300 a week in unemployment benefits, 
as well as tighter eligibility requirements for stimulus checks. The $15 minimum wage hike in the House bill was dropped. Legislation now heads back to the House, which is set to take it up tomorrow. All right, hackers, a high-flying aircraft merger in the works, and a high-flying investor falling a bit from her perch. Those are just some of the big story stocks today. Let's get right now to them. Stock number one, Microsoft. The White House urging computer network operators to take steps to determine whether their systems were targeted in a major hack of Microsoft Outlook. The administration says there are still serious vulnerabilities that hackers could exploit, even after Microsoft issued a patch. Sources say as many as 60,000 organizations, not just emails, folks, these may be your companies that have been hit by the hack, which Microsoft blames on China. Those organizations include credit unions, local governments, as well as countless small businesses. Stock number two, the ARK Invest Innovation ETF. You've been hearing a lot about this lately, the ticker ARKK. It has fallen further down into bear territory, off nearly 28% from its peak on February 12th. The ETF includes many buzzy tech and growth-related names, including Tesla, Square, Teladoc, and Roku, all which have dropped amid the increase in bond yields and the idea that we're going to rotate out of fast-growing big tech into more value-type names. CEO Kathy Wood recently telling CNBC she is actually doubling down on some bets, and she'll be on closing bell today at 3 o'clock Eastern time. All right, stock number three, GE. The Wall Street Journal saying that GE is near a deal worth more than $30 billion to combine its aircraft leasing business with Ireland's AirCap Holdings. GE Capital Aviation Services, or GCAS as it's known, owns services or on order more than 1,600 different planes. All right, now to a major developing story this morning. Global oil prices on the move. Houthi rebels say they attacked a major Saudi port on the Persian Gulf with drones and missiles yesterday. Saudi authorities say the strike caused no damage or casualties. The target was Ras Tanura. It is the site of Saudi Aramco's oldest and biggest refinery and also the world's largest offshore oil loading facility. That's not all. There were also Iran-backed missile strikes inside of Iraq recently. Joining us now is RBC Capital Markets Head of Global Commodity Strategy and CNBC contributor Halima Croft. Uh, Halima, sorry to drag you out so early on a Monday, but this is a big story. Luckily, not a lot of damage, no lives lost, but it's a message sent. What should we take from it? No, I mean, it's a reminder of just how fragile the security environment is in the region. I mean, if we think back to 2019, we had major attacks on tankers in the Straits of Hormuz. We had that attack on September 14th that knocked out half of Saudi Arabia's oil output in 2019. And the risk remains ever present. And so the question is, are we going to see, you know, in the coming days and weeks, actual attacks that result in loss of oil output. That's what we'd be looking for in terms of the oil market. Do you actually see physical supplies disruption? But the ability of these groups to do significant damage should not be underestimated. What do you think Iran is trying to prove here? What do they want? What are they looking to get? What kind of a message are they signaling to President Biden? Well, it's really interesting when we think about the Houthis. There's always been this issue of command and control. Yes, the Iranians supply them with significant military hardware, with drones, ballistic missile technology. But there's a question about do they actually control the leadership of the Houthis? But as you mentioned earlier, we've also had these Iranian-backed militant groups in Iraq 
targeting U.S. bases. We're holding U.S. troops. And so this region is becoming a lot more volatile. We're going into potentially new nuclear negotiations. And I think it's putting pressure on the Biden administration to get a deal done quickly. But the risk really is that if you don't get some type of off-ramp with Iran, you could actually get you know, military action in the region because Saudi Arabia is not going to sit back indefinitely while they have their facilities attacked. And then you have to raise the issue of the Israelis as well. Are they going to sit back in the region indefinitely as Iran continues to make progress on their nuclear program and gets ever closer to having a bomb? So I actually think you're in a situation where the Biden administration is really being put on the clock to try to get an off-ramp, or you're looking at far more escalation in the region. Do you think all this points to higher crude oil prices, Salima? Well, I think it's certainly in a market now which is growing tighter. And when we have the OPEC resolve to keep supply constrained, I think geopolitics becomes more important to the oil market. If we think back to 2019, we saw major attacks, but yet the oil market shrugged it off amid ample supply. In a tightening market, I think geopolitics matters much more. Yeah, and we've already seen increased demand as things starts to open up a little bit. Production has not come back online. And on that last OPEC meeting, the, the you know, Prince Abdulaziz, the Saudi energy minister, said that the era of drill, baby, drill is over. And the Occidental CEO told us the same thing. You've got these geopolitical attacks, and it doesn't sound like U.S. production is going to come roaring back like it tends to do every time prices move higher, Halima. Well, think about 2019. Again, we lost half of Saudi Arabia's oil output temporarily, but we had ample supply because of U.S. production. And that's why Donald Trump essentially said, I don't have to do much to protect these facilities. Now, in a situation where U.S. production remains much more constrained, you have OPEC producers much more back in the driver's seat in the oil market. If you were to lose oil supplies now, I think President Biden would have to, at a minimum, pick up the phone and call Saudi Arabia and ask for more oil because U.S. gas prices are rising at home. And at some point, it also becomes a political issue for him. Yeah, we'll see if that call is made and made soon. You got WTI crude not up as much as it was overnight. Brent crude briefly above 70, not anymore, but still it is up 35 or so percent this year. Halima Croft, always appreciate it. Thank you, Halima. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. All right, always. Well, we are just getting started here on a Monday. When we come back, how can you take advantage of recent market volatility and try to make some money from these big swings? We have got stock picks just for you. Plus, the rising popularity of so-called NFTs, non-fungible tokens. If you're confused, don't worry. So am I. We'll tell you what they are and why people are spending millions on them. And later on, more picks you can't afford to miss. Top-ranked hedge fund or fund manager Amy Zhang is here. She has got some new names just for you in the mid-cap space. Yeah, that video is a little bit of a clue as to one of those picks. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back and good morning here. We are seeing futures down across the board as well. The Dow futures off 83, but the NASDAQ, once again, are the ones to watch. The NASDAQ off 237 points, one of the biggest drops in futures that we have seen in a while. Now, again, it could turn around like it did late day Friday, but overall, we have seen a wave of selling in big cap. NASDAQ trying to avoid its fourth down week in a row. Let's talk more about the market climate, your money, and where you still might be able to find some value. Your next guest says, look to volatility. Ingrid Diet is Senior Portfolio Manager of the Sustainable Equity Fund at Newberger Berman and joins us now. Ingrid, good morning. First off, what do you make of the markets the last couple of weeks? Yields have been moving. Seems a lot of money shifting from high growth into what they perceive as value. It has been quite the seismic shift. Do you think it will continue? Yeah, really good question, Brian. We've been in a market that has been very volatile and certainly for the past couple of years, supported by central bank policy, uh, a market that's been been driven by growth and momentum. And I would say for the past several months, we are now seeing a break in that um, as investors that are focused on valuation-sensitive approach, looking for companies with free cash flow and earnings, it's really quite exciting times. Um, Can't predict what volatility is ahead, but as we've seen, um, the economy does seem to be in good shape post-pandemic. And so lots of opportunity for active managers uh, to find uh, well-positioned businesses. Such, such as, Ingrid, what? I mean, because so many oh, stocks yeah, sure. did so well so, in 2020. Valuations, I'm not saying they got crazy, but 150 times sales, okay, maybe a little optimistic. Investors seem to have rethought some of these positions. What looks like it still holds value to you? Yeah, so as I said, we like companies with earnings and free cash flow growth. Because as we look ahead, that's what we think will support market, um, market appreciation. Um, take a look at the theme of electrification. Everyone's talking about decarbonizing the economy. Um, how do we live in a world um, with less emissions? And the news of the weekend are OEM after OEM committing to uh, electrification of uh, automobiles. Um, you don't have to buy a single auto manufacturer that has three models. You can buy companies like Texas Instruments and Active, both that support the electrification of transportation, also involved in active safety, um, clear secular theme. So, yes, we're all tied to the macro when you invest in equities, uh, but really trying to find uh, spots where secular growth has long-term trends um, that will support earnings, and free cash flow. So follow the cash. I had no idea that Texas Instruments was sort of part of that electrification. I assume, obviously, it's on some the, the semiconductor side as well. Is that kind of what you're going for then, Ingrid? Maybe some of these 
second or even third derivative plays that they're not Tesla, you're not knocking Tesla, but they're not directly related, but they have a business that benefits from that trend. Because honestly, I had no clue that TI would have been part of that movement. Absolutely. Automobiles is a big vertical for them. Think of analog chips everywhere. If you want to take a real-world signal, put your foot on the brake, and turn it into digital to be able to um, electrify vehicles, uh, active safety, um, all uh, componentry that requires Texas Instruments, um, as well as um, active. Two, two players in the electrification um, secular growth that might not necessarily be obvious to, to investors. We're less inclined to make a binary bet on who wins this race uh, and more interested in buying companies that have earnings, free cash flows, strong returns on invested capital, but are also supporting uh, the longer-term trend of greening of transportation. Yeah. All right, really interesting stuff there for Ingrid Diet. Ingrid, a real pleasure to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Nice and early on a Monday, Ingrid. Take care. Yep. Have a great Thank day you. and a good week. Thank you very much. You too. All right. All right, still on deck, the fight to vaccinate more Americans every day, one year into the outbreak. We'll speak with the CEO of one tri-state area hospital about the accomplishments made and the hurdles that still remain in mass inoculation. Today's big number, 1,734. That's how many years it would take to double your money at the current national savings rate of 0.04%. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back and good morning. It is part of the investing world that is also sort of half art and half crypto. They're called NFTs, non-fungible tokens. They're basically, in a very basic way, digital collectibles tied to a specific non-replaceable blockchain. In other words, they're one of a kind and cannot be replicated. Digital art, if you will. And the digital art world is red hot and real money right now. The latest, Jack Dorsey over the weekend auctioning off his first tweet. It's not a screenshot of the tweet. It's actually the digital code on the blockchain for the first tweet. Two and a half million dollars. But it doesn't end there. Also over the weekend, bids for work from the graphic artist Beeple sold at Christie's for as much as $6.6 million. And a LeBron James highlight recently sold for $200,000. A highlight, by the way, that is free to view on YouTube. NFT volume now topping $400 million in just over a month. Joining us now, CNBC.com sports reporter Jabari Young. All right, Jabari, a lot of people... Uh, including uh, this guy here, uh, were confused by NFTs at first. I'm starting to learn a little bit. What exactly gives them value? Are they tangible in, in any way, or is it just digital bragging rights? <laughs> yeah, well, Brian, first of all, good morning, man. I hope you had a great weekend. And 
Secondly, I don't know. I have no idea what's giving them value. I'm thinking about auctioning off my like my sixth grade report card, right? Just to see if I'm going to get anything. Uh, but you know, listen. Th you know, reading up on this, this is the digital age. You know, this is uh, an era where they're collecting their moment just differently. You know, you you go back and look at NBA Top Shot, the program that the NBA and Dapper Labs that created, and they're thinking that this this new highlight is going to replicate, is going to emulate the trading card. You know, and and it's on the digital market. It's, it's doing numbers right now. You know, have you seen a story two hundred over two hundred thirty million dollars that Dapper Lab has made through sales through the through the marketplace? So. You know, you just look at this and you got to look into the future, right? And this is just a, an age where the, the, the collector, the, the uh, investor, they're just collecting their moment because decades from now, right? When when all of this is still like, when this is old fashioned, remember they used to ride around from point A to point B in horses. Who could ever envision that they were going to drive in cars with Bluetooth and navigation systems? So, you know, this new highlight, this new NFT, this is something that, you know, they call a digital artwork. I, I can't see it, you know, but I can see somebody going into someone's house and on a big screen TV, Maybe this digital artwork is is on display, but you know this is their moment. This is a digital age, and they're collecting it. And as you mentioned, it can't be replicated. And I think that's where uh, a lot of the, the the interest is going to, because if you can get something right, and it's only a hundred of them made in the world, and you have one of them, and it can't be replicated, all of a sudden it's it's it's, create, it's, it's worth something because it's of that scarcity. And I think you know you have people, Jack, the NBA, they're thinking that you know again years from now this is all going to come in. Yeah, and this guy, uh, Beeple, a.k.a. Mike Winkleman, I think he's from Michigan. He moved to South Carolina, kind of did this as a hobby. Now he's becoming the Banksy of the digital artwork, becoming incredibly rich in the process. Some of his work, by the way, is beautiful, and I, and I get it. I guess what I'm tr struggling to understand is the LeBron James highlight. Great dunk, <laughs> but it's free to view. I can watch it on YouTube for free, but I guess the point is it's not about watching it. It's just about owning that digital moment in time. But to your report card comment, Jabari, I think the idea <laughs> is that there's infinite amount of things that are just those singular moments in time. I mean, I don't know how big this market can be. Well, you know, we'll find out just like anything else. You know, the only thing is, is that, you know, with the, the, the highlight space on a sports scene, at least, and I think other sports leagues will get involved is that you know you're hoping that the rookie card that you get this guy's going to be something we know lebron's worth something we know that michael jordan is worth something uh their highlights will be worth something you know whether or not the zion williamson and those cards will be worth something as his career goes on you know we'll find out but again this is just a new way of doing things the business has changed, you know, and uh, the way that people collect things has changed. And this is their moment. Again, the digital age is upon us. It's, under, it's evolving every single day. And the NFT space is just a part of that. Well, I think what we can do, Jabari, is put this interview, right, make sure that it's sort of protected on the blockchain. This interview will become our NFT. We'll sell this as the exactly. first NFT discussion about NFTs. And then we'll split the proceeds. What do you think? Absolutely. I'm with that, man. Just hopefully that CNBC approves of that. But if you if you can get that through your connections, if you can get that approved, I'm all for it. I could take any other check. Again, in that report card thing, listen, how many Jabari Young sixth grade report cards are there? The only one in the world. I can sell it on an NFT. It might be worth something one day. I don't know. I'm not going to ask you your grades. Mine, not good. But hey, if it'll sell, it'll sell. <laughs> Maybe a bad one is better than a good one. Jabari Young, I appreciate it. This segment, I mean, we could just put this up online. Let's do it. See what happens. Jabari, have a great day, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> you too, bro. All right. All right. Coming up, from digital art to actual stocks, top-ranked fund manager Amy Zhang with three under-the-radar mid-cap names that you need to buy right now. Plus, 
If you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange and don't record it or whatever, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. But first, as we head to break, March is Women's History Month. We're spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors, colleagues, and friends. Here's Metropolitan Capital CEO Karen Feinerman on her childhood hero. The historical figure that most comes to mind for me is Billie Jean King. And I was a very, very young tennis player when she was near the height of her fame with the Battle of the Sexes match. And I was a tomboy and I loved playing sports and I always wanted to play on the boys team. And when Billie Jean King was playing Bobby Riggs, I have never rooted so hard for any person or any team as I did that day. And I didn't really realize until later all that she had done for women's equality and all the sacrifices that she made. Yield fears once again rearing their heads in the markets as Middle East tensions heat up. Futures are pointing to big losses in big tech to begin your new trading week. President Biden's $1.9 trillion spending plan moving one step closer to reality. Lawmakers preparing to put the deal over the finish line. And COVID, one year later, as the U.S. continues to make major strides in mass vaccinations, we'll speak with one hospital CEO on whether we are really out of the woods yet. It is Monday, March 8th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome back or welcome. I'm Brian Sullivan and good Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend. Here's how your Monday money looks after a volatile and often topsy-turvy week last week. And if you don't like red on the screen, maybe just turn away or go get another cup of coffee because we are seeing futures down fairly big. NASDAQ futures are off 228 points. The fair value's in the green, but right now futures Overall, are down. Dow futures holding up a bit better, still down, but only down about 30 points. Keep in mind that even with the late day rally on Friday, the Nasdaq and Nasdaq 100 both had a very difficult week last week. 11 Nasdaq 100 stocks falling more than 10%, led by names you know, like Zoom, which dropped 18% as we all think about sort of getting re quote reopen once again. It wasn't just the move in yields. You've got oil moving higher as well, and Mideast tensions ramping up. A drone and missile strike hitting Saudi Arabia's biggest port city, and we got some missile uh, fragments falling near uh, some actual residential compounds near Saudi Aramco, where Yemeni rebels taking responsibility. It all adds to Middle East tensions and tighter oil supplies. Price of oil, not higher right now, but it is up 35% just this year. And in the bond market, that may be the thing to watch right now. The sudden move in yields that we saw last week, making stock investors a little bit nervous, hitting a large part of the market. So you want to watch bonds. Yields are not moving right now, but it's a full 11 days before Fed Chair Jay Powell speaks again. How will we make it as an eternity in these kinds of markets? All right. Outside of markets, three other big money stories for you on this Monday. Story number one, the Senate approving President Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package. The weekend vote playing out along party lines. The modified plan features an extension for $300 in weekly unemployment benefits and tighter eligibility requirements for stimulus checks. The $15 minimum wage hike in the House bill was dropped. The legislation now heads back to the lower chamber, which is set to take it up tomorrow. Story two, President Biden apparently set to turn his attention to the Asia-Pacific region. According to reports, the president plans to hold a virtual summit with leaders of Japan, Australia, and India potentially as early as this week. The meeting would be one of the highest level one-on-ones dubbed by the group The Quad, 
and suggest the importance of partnerships to help counter China's growing influence across the globe. Story three, the Biden administration also accusing Russia of carrying out a disinformation campaign against Western COVID vaccines. The White House says Russian intel agencies have worked to undermine confidence in treatments by Pfizer and others. It identified four websites that in recent months have questioned the vaccine's development, safety, and efficacy. In other words, folks, you see it online, know what you're reading and where it came from. All right, time now to welcome back one of our favorite guests. Amy Zhang is fund manager and executive vice president at Alger. They recently launched a mid-cap trading ETF trying to do for mid-caps what she did for small caps, becoming the number one ranked fund manager in that space. Amy, it's great to chat with you, even by the phone. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, We showed a video of the infamous, famous, whatever, Dave Portnoy. Tell us why you like Penn National Gaming. And good morning, by the way. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me here again today. Uh, Yes, Penn National, um, as you know, is uh, the largest regional gaming operator with 36 casinos and five racetracks across 19 states in the U.S., uh, why we like it is because I think it's a very exciting company, especially now that because it has the rare combination of both a robust recovery story and also a powerful cellular growth story. First of all, you know, Penn is a COVID recovery story uh, in their brick and mortar, uh, mortar casino business that will exit the pandemic with structurally higher margins. Second, as you mentioned, it's a cellular growth uh, high-growth sports betting and iGaming play uh, through the Boston Sports app. Uh, Penn is becoming a key digital transformation story uh, since this is now a major player in online sports betting, a huge growth opportunity as gaming is in the very early stage of shipping online. We think this year will be an inflection year in terms of online sports betting legalization as we expect five to ten states to legalize. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though the stock has done well, we think there's still a lot of growth not priced in, especially with the hidden value in the Barstool Media platform. Yeah, all of our all of our viewers and listeners know McDonald's. They know Starbucks. To your point, they probably know Viking, the high-end stove company. What binds them all together as a company, they may not know. And that is Middleby, ticker M-I-D-D. Who are they and why do you like them, Amy? Well, as you pointed out, Middleby, even though it's not a household name, but uh, they have over 100 brands and a very extensive customer mix. They literally have all every single chain is their customer. So Middleby is a market leader in the food service equipment industry. Uh, So they make kitchen equipment for restaurants and homes, and it also provides food processing uh, solutions. Uh, so um, it's another. It's a great play on the restaurant recovery scene, as you pointed out. Said the the Senate uh, passed a 1.9 trillion COVID relief package on Saturday, and out of that, 28.6 billion is in restaurant relief bill. So uh, that's a huge tailwind with the government support, uh, as restaurant sales have really dropped the last year, and uh, so with equipment demand now is really improving and that's uh, very, very favorable for Middleby. And the company is also highly, highly innovative. 
that, for example, is、mm-hmm. a pioneer in the automation within restaurants. So we think this is. And lastly, this is also a company with very high financial quality, strong margins and cash flow. So we think it's going to、uh, continue to do very well. Is, is that also kind of that that food theme? U.S. foods is another name that you like, or is it a totally totally separate thesis? Oh no, it's the same thesis, just with different idiosyncratic drivers. As you know, at Alger, we're stock pickers. So、uh, U.S. Foods, you know, is、uh, the second largest food service distributor in the、U- United States, and it's also another great way to play the recovery in restaurants, hotels, and schools. Uh, so when you think about restaurant recovering and slowly moving back towards serving customers、uh, as usual over the next、uh, few months, because a lot of pent up demand for people wanting to go out and、uh, eat in the restaurants,、uh, so naturally U.S. Foods will be supplying those restaurants with their food supplies. So、uh, so that's why it's a huge tailwind for them, and also、uh, the industry、yeah. is really consolidating. So this is the one company that has scale, capital, technology, and product offerings to、uh, accelerate the market share gain. And lastly, this is a great catch-up play because U.S. Foods still trades at a discount to its peers. And you're picking two, by the way, Middle of America, Rosemont, and Elgin, Illinois-based Middleby and U.S. Foods. We like it. You're going right to the heartland. Amy Zhang of Alger. Amy, a real pleasure. Look forward to seeing you again in person. Amy, take care. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, the next steps in the COVID outbreak. The CEO of University Hospital in Early Hotspot, New Jersey, laying out the hurdles that still remain getting vaccines to the masses, including a big reluctance to take it. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories: the European Union will reportedly urge the U.S. to allow the export of millions of doses of AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine in a bid to stem supply shortfalls. That, according to the FT. The EU will also ask the Biden administration to allow the free flow of shipments of critical vaccine ingredients needed for European production. Evolve Technology is combining with a SPAC to go public. The crowd safety firm, which, backed by Bill Gates and former Governor Jeb Bush, is teaming up with a new hold investment and a deal that values Evolve 1.7 billion dollars. Another day, another SPAC. And Disney's new animated movie *Raya and the Last Dragon*, topping what was a sluggish weekend at the box office, which of course remains closed or severely limited in capacity in much of the country. Movie was also available for purchase on Disney Plus, pulled in 8.6 million dollars. Continued signals of a tough road ahead for the movie industry. We are back right after this. Well, this week marks one year since COVID-19 changed our lives. We continue to make big progress on the vaccine front, with a record number of Americans now getting their shot over the weekend. We had a three million shot day. The Biden administration, meantime, continuing to push toward its goal of having enough vaccination doses for every adult by the end of May. But there is a growing concern about that push to get first access to treatments and the potential impact on the global economic recovery. Meg Terrell. Has more. 
Well, vaccine nationalism is something global health leaders have been warning about since the beginning of the pandemic. The idea that richer nations would buy up vaccine supply, meaning lower income countries will wait months or years for access. And a year into the pandemic, that's essentially what's happening. The U.S. has administered more vaccine doses than any other country. And as we heard from President Biden last week, we're on track to have enough supply to vaccinate every American adult by the end of May, with some supply left over. Meanwhile, the facility called COVAX, designed to obtain vaccines for lower and middle income countries, expects to distribute half that many doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine across 142 countries in that time frame. And while COVAX may add more vaccines, experts warn the disparities are stark and will prolong the pandemic for all of us. We also hope that this uh, discovery of the variants is a wake-up call to the rest of the world that we should not leave any country behind, yeah? Because otherwise we also have the chance that a country uh, cannot control the pandemic and develop new variants that easily can be introduced in other countries. A model from the Economist Intelligence Unit suggests some developing countries may not achieve widespread vaccination coverage until 2023. And one analysis from Duke University found that high-income countries representing 16% of the world's population have purchased more than half of all COVID-19 vaccine doses. It forecasts the pandemic could last seven more years if rich countries hoard vaccines and cost the global economy $9 trillion. Back over to you. Our thanks to Meg Terrell for that. All right, for more now on where we stand one year into the pandemic and the growing pace of vaccinations, we're joined by Dr. Sharif El-Nahali, a CEO and president of University Hospital in New Jersey. Dr. El-Nahal, thank you very much for joining us. Listen, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but as our viewers know on my social media, I've been very bullish on vaccines. I've been on the road with them. Case counts are down as much as 10 times lower than the IHME estimates by some estimates. Where do you think we stand right now, especially in this very early hard hit state of New Jersey? Well, thank you so much for having me. First of all, I think your optimism is well-rooted. We are trending in a very good direction. And the difference between now And what we saw in the spring of 2020, uh, where we didn't have vaccines, uh, is that, of course, we have three great vaccines that we're able to use. In fact, my hospital now has all three. We're going to have a very busy day today uh, using all of them, whether it's in our hospital or in the community uh, with mobile sites in partnership with the city here in Newark. Uh, But we're excited because this is a very uh, promising uh, endeavor that we're doing. We're now uh, over three million vaccines per day. Uh, and we hope that we can uh, outpace, for example, the rise of a variant that may be resistant uh, if the spread continues. And so uh, I'm overall optimistic, but we don't have we're not crossed the finish line yet. We it, it's within sight with these vaccines. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that, doctor, because, you know, I've been out there a little bit being optimistic, basically, by the way, just using the math and the numbers on you know outcomes, hospitalization. It's just math and, and publicly available data. But there's a lot of scary words out there like mutant and and variant. All viruses do mutate. But I appreciate you saying that because I think we have to have some hope. And I think I'm frustrated, uh, and I'll just admit that, by, you know, well, maybe we can get back to normal by next year. The reality is if people don't feel like the vaccines are going to help and they're kind of already skeptical of them anyway, they're not going to take them. Right. I, I feel like the messaging hasn't been on enough that if you do this, you are likely to be able to, you know, go to 
go to hang out with family and friends indoors sooner than later. We just don't hear that. Well, that's right. And uh, the CDC should any day now be releasing even more uh, restrictions that can be lifted for folks who uh, are vaccinated. And so that should be an exciting thing we can advertise to folks to encourage them to take this vaccine. We already now have a rule that says even if you're exposed and you've been vaccinated to somebody with known COVID-19, you no longer have to quarantine. So expect hopefully relaxations on travel and other things that uh, allow us to hopefully inch back to normal. But we really won't be able to safely do that until we reach uh, what's called herd immunity, where we have at least 70 to 80 percent of the population vaccinated. Yeah, or, or doctor that has some sort of maybe natural immunity. I guess the problem with the herd immunity is that we just don't know the denominator. We don't know how many people have been asymptomatically exposed. Hopefully it's, you know, we'll, we'll get there sooner than later. How much are you experiencing the reluctance to take the vaccine? I, I've got friends that have been showing up at sites. There's plenty of doses. There almost appears to be more supply than demand of certain parts of New Jersey. Are you having to convince people, hey, it's safe? There's no microchips in it. It's not Bill Gates trying to take over the world. Take the vaccine. There is a significant amount of hesitancy, especially in communities of color and in urban communities like the one we serve uh, here in Newark. And so uh, the good news, though, is that that hesitancy is moving in the right direction. So we had only about 40 percent of the city of Newark and the surrounding region ready and willing to take the vaccine when it arrived. Now that number is close to 60 percent. And so we've been making progress with community forums, town halls. Uh, But remember, when we go through that door of trust and ultimately say, you know, hey, we're here with an initiative that will save your life, potentially, especially in a community that was hit so hard. uh, We also emphasize that all three of these vaccines are 100 percent effective at preventing hospitalization and death. That is huge. Uh, And frankly, these vaccines are better than so many others that have been on the market for a long time for other diseases. Doctor, that's everything, right? I'm not going to knock the media, but we focus on case counts. Outcomes are what matter, right? Don't get too sick and certainly don't get more than sick. Absolutely. And all that's left and what's required really is just patience for us to get through that finish line. Just a few more months, hopefully, when the combination of vaccinated folks and people who've gotten the disease will help us reach that herd immunity threshold. I'll tell you what, doctor, I'll see you. I hope Memorial Day around then we'll have lunch in Jersey City. I'm that confident. Sharif El-Nahal, doctor, we appreciate and thank you for your optimism and your hard work, sir. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, folks, you won't see this anywhere else. Yesterday was the first day we had more people vaccinated than total number of cases in the United States. Made a chart courtesy of Y Charts. Not going to see it anywhere else. And that was a big milestone day. Orange above blue. More vaccinated than cases. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Well, I'm back here on Worldwide Exchange, and so is the RBI, your most random but interesting piece of news today. And today, let's talk green. Oh. I jumped to the RB. See, I'm out of practice in the mornings. They just screamed promo in my ear. That's literally what happens. Go back to the promo and I will read the on the edge 6 p.m. tonight all week long. Jim is off this week. So check out the new show on the edge this week. Highlighting smart voices, interesting takes all week long. CNBC special event. Now to your most random but interesting piece of news. And that is. 
Let's talk Green Bay, specifically the Green Bay Packer merchandise and what may be the early candidate for the trade of the year in 2021. Listen to this. A guy named Tim Horton. Yeah, but not the donut Tim Horton. Anyway, bought a 1940s Packers leather helmet in January. He paid $500 for it. A few days ago, he sold it at auction for $33,600. $500,000 in just two months. The return? 6,600% after auction fees. He netted about $25,000 for eight weeks of ownership. Now that's a Vince Lombardi-type trade right there over an old piece of leather. It's not even made of blockchain. Random and hopefully interesting. Always interesting is Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial. and He joins us right now. We're going to sell your old football helmet from Notre Dame, Jeff Kilberg, and hopefully make us both a pile of money outside of your old football gear. Where are you seeing opportunity and value for your clients right now, Jeff? Well, so we're looking at the market this morning. I think it's a fascinating week that's coming about us. What's interesting is the emotion in the market. And the emotion that I see overnight, it's insecurity. We saw the futures market actually pop overnight due to the fact that we have the $1.9 trillion stimulus package finally over the goal line. So here we are now seeing the market 50 handles lower due to the insecurity. We're seeing a move higher in the U.S. dollar. Interest rates are kind of staying above 1.50 in the 10-year notes. So right now, right here, Sully, I think you're going to see the rotation trade persist, and this is providing a ton of opportunity into the value names that we like. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question, Jeff, is, is this great rotation, whatever you want to call it, is it, is it, is it the thing now for the next few quarters and maybe even years? I feel like there's still this sense of, yeah, but tech's coming back, right? I mean, tech's definitely coming back. We're just, I mean, is it? Tech is not going away, but to your point, Sully, in our tactical model that I manage, we have seen tech technically fall out of favor short term. So I don't walk away from the FANG stocks, but we are reducing exposure. What's interesting about this rotation trade, I think it's in its first or second inning. And why I say that is because move back 10, 15, 20 years, any type of rotation, it took quarters, if not years, to see growth to value or value to growth move. Right now, we are so accustomed to this acute volatility or these acute moves. I think we're seeing this rotation trade, and this isn't a bad thing. This is actually very healthy for the market to see some of the industrial names, some of these laggards get some love. Now, we talk a lot about the S&P 500. Certainly, we're focused on the top 10 stocks, which make up 28% of the S&P 500. But let's talk about the next 10 stocks, Sully. Let's talk about MasterCard, Visa, Bank of America, Home Depot. They only make up 7.5% of the S&P 500, but those are the names that are now going to carry the baton forward. Yeah, and we're watching the FedExes and the Home Depots, the MasterCards of the world. Jeff Kilberg, right. you've been spot on ahead of this trend as well. We know that from this program and others, and we appreciate the guidance, buddy. And we will look forward to selling that helmet behind you in about 50 years. We'll retire on it. Jeff Kilberg, I appreciate it, it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. All right, take care, man. All right, well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. NASDAQ futures are down more than 200. Squawk in the gang will pick up the coverage next. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a fantastic Monday, wherever you may be. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 